I wish to begin by greeting everybody this evening. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Today I'm so pleased, before I do the formalities, to just recognize Auntie Farida Omar. So lovely to have you here, Auntie Farida. And my old friend, Salimani. I haven't seen Hajj Salimani since we were all on Hajj together many years ago. And we were in that tent at Arafat, praying so much, and you were crying so much. <laughs> Alhamdulillah, we see you today. Allow me to formally begin then by thanking the leadership of the mosque for inviting to be, me to be here. Thank you very much, Imam and also the executive committee for allowing me to be here. As I stand here, I speak for all women in the Ummah, because women must have a voice. I wish to thank everyone for inviting me to speak to you this evening about this important case that South Africa has taken to the International Court of Justice. But before I make my remarks, because everyone is here and the media is here, let me make it clear, I have no ambition to be a president. <laughs> I'm a public servant, and all I want to do is serve the people. So even though I'm a little older now, if you will have me, I will always be there, inshallah, to serve the people. It is indeed an honor for me to be here to brief you on the work that our government of South Africa has been doing in solidarity with the people of Gaza and all of Palestine. Before I get into the substance of my address, I want to express my gratitude and appreciation for the support that the communities of Cape Town in particular, but also of broader South Africa, and indeed almost all humanity, have shown for the positions that we have taken in order to attempt to save the lives of children, men, and women in Palestine, and in particular in Gaza. I need to stress that the protests and mass mobilization of the people of Cape Town and other parts of South Africa have served as an inspiration to me, my Department of International Relations, as well as our government. The beautiful and inspirational murals on walls in Buoka, Salt River, Bontejevo, and townships across the country symbolize the solidarity of most South Africans with the people of Palestine. Much of this solidarity stems from the fact that we feel and remember our pain when we were subjected to the violence associated 
with apartheid and settler colonialism. As Nelson Mandela expressed, as was said by Dr. Abdullah, our history behoves us not to turn a blind eye to the oppression of others. And our freedom as South Africans is incomplete without the freedom of the Palestinian people. Given that this mosque, Al-Quds, is named after one of the Qiblas, I would like to frame our solidarity with the people of Palestine and indeed our overall foreign policy with references to the approach, approaches of the Abrahamic religions to justice, equality, and fairness. We are taught that the Hadith plays an important role in helping us understand the values that underpin Islamic practice. The following hadith may be relevant for our discussion today. Anyone who walks with a wrongdoer in order to strengthen him, knowing that all the while he is a wrongdoer, has departed from Islam. And another hadith, the Prophet, may peace be upon him, said, assist your brother and sister Muslim, whether he or she be an oppressor or the oppressed. When asked, but how shall we assist the oppressor? The Prophet, may peace be upon him, said, assisting an oppressor is by forbidding and withholding that person from oppression. These are just two hadiths that suggest that Muslims cannot and should not collaborate with those who oppress others. And more importantly, that we should refrain from supporting oppressors as this only strengthens them. These hadiths very clearly also enjoin us to support the oppressed in their struggles and engage in activities that will hold the oppressors accountable for their actions. It is thus an injunction against siding with the oppressed and also siding with the oppressor and also to ensure that the oppressor cannot act with impunity. The same values, and it's important for me to say this, that I have referred to of the promotion of fairness, justice, and solidarity with the oppressed are to be found in Judaism and Christianity. The South African Jews for a Free Palestine, the SAJFP, recently circulated a statement distancing themselves from the statements of the chief rabbi of South Africa. The South African Jews for a Free Palestine described the statements that the chief rabbi made when he criticized the actions of the South African government in holding Israel to account as racist and supportive of the Israeli oppression of Palestinians. South African Jews for Palestine, for a free Palestine, suggested that Zionism 
and its concomitant oppression of the Palestinians is in conflict with some of the more important values of Judaism. They stated that the progressive Jewish tradition draws on liberatory values. This includes the concept of tzedakah, which refers to the values of justice and fairness. The implication of this is that doing what is right and just is an ethical obligation in Judaism. South African Jews for a Free Palestine Statement included the following as part of their response to the chief rabbi and others who have been supporting the actions of the Israeli government. They indicated to be Jewish is therefore intrinsically connected to keeping our eyes open to injustice. That is our spiritual and historical duty, reiterated through the experiences of our ancestors and our teachings. Liberation theology is a major component of progressive Christian practice and has always been associated with aligning with the aspirations of oppressed peoples. Some who don't understand Islam will wonder why I quote other great religions. But we as Muslims, we respect all of the book. And it's important that we all understand this. We have seen how Christian liberation theology is active in struggles against poverty, inequality, racism, and colonialism. This point was brought home very powerfully when in the presence of South African clergy and activists in a church in Bethlehem on Christmas Eve last year, Reverend Munda Isaac said the following, Jesus, may peace be upon him, was born among the occupied and marginalized. He is in solidarity with us in Palestine, in our pain and brokenness. Reverend Munta went on to criticize the complicity of the Western world and others in the unfolding genocide in Gaza. He said, let it be clear, silence is complicity. An empty calls for peace without a ceasefire and an end to occupation and the shallow words of empathy without direct action are all under the banner of complicity. The progressive and liberatory nature of the three Abrahamic religions has found pride of place in the values and principles of the South African Constitution, as these constitutional values were shaped by the values born out of our struggle against colonialism and apartheid. These values have shaped much of our foreign policy, and they call on us to be on the side of the oppressed always. Siding with the oppressed, especially the Palestinians, has been criticized by some here in South Africa as being reckless and jeopardizing our economic interests. We say that standing on the side of justice, ending impunity, and working to stop mass killing 
in a genocide is very much part of our national interests. Those advocating for economic reprisals against South Africa for not being complicit with genocide are, as Reverend Muther pointed out, perversely actively complicit in the genocide in Gaza. These, these are the values and principles that inform South Africa's decision to firstly charge the leaders of Israel with individual criminal liability for the atrocities in Palestine through petitioning the International Criminal Court. We followed that first step up by taking the State of Israel to The Hague for breaches of their responsibilities under the Genocide Convention. In the context of complicity by many of the Western powers, South Africa acted to end the killing of Palestinians, particularly of children, women, and men. As of the 2nd of February, we know 27,019 Palestinians have been killed. Over 11,000 of these are children. 7,500 are women, and 1,049 are elderly Palestinian citizens. These numbers do not include those who are missing and who are under the rubble. Over 65,000 people have been injured, and close to 1.9 million are displaced. The humanitarian situation is so dire that it is feared, it is feared that without an immediate ceasefire, which allows humanitarian aid to flow unhindered into Gaza, more people may likely die from starvation and disease than from the actual military assaults. We took the actions that we did at the ICC and the ICJ in an attempt to save lives, for justice, peace, and for an end to violent occupation. Our actions are in line with the most fundamental values of Islam and the religions I cited earlier, and of course, the fundamental values of South Africa's constitution. Allow me to conclude with a brief update on the processes at the International Court of Justice. On 26 January, the International Court of Justice delivered its order on South Africa's request for the indication of provisional measures in our case to hold Israel accountable for genocidal acts in Gaza under the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide. The provisional orders make it clear that Israel must ensure that it acts to, com to prevent the commission of all acts under Article 2 of the Genocide Convention. This is to prevent and stop, A, 
the killing of members of the group that is Palestinian people in this case, B, causing serious bodily or mental harm to Palestinian people, and C, deliberately inflicting on Palestinian people conditions calculated to cause physical destruction in whole or in part, and D, imposing measures intended to prevent births among Palestinian people. The order is very important in our view and historic. Given the acts that the Israeli army have been inflicting on the Palestinian people. The order that follows on from the injunction to adhere to the provisions of Article 2 of the Genocide Convention is extremely important. It states the following. The State of Israel shall ensure with immediate effect that its military does not commit any acts described in point one. Point one was, of course, the order relating to Israel having to stop the killing and other genocidal acts under Article 2 of the Convention. These two orders, if you read them together, can only mean that the judges required that Israel seize its military attacks, which were destroying people and the means necessary for them to live. It is essentially a de facto order for a ceasefire. Many have been quibbling that the court did not use ceasefire, the word. But all the orders that they gave, all the injunctions, can only be acted upon if there is a ceasefire. So clearly, a ceasefire is a corollary to the orders. And it is not Naledi Pando who is saying this. Most honest and credible international lawyers have stressed this point. Clearly, the judges would not have made an order suggesting that you can kill people as long as you don't do it with an intention to genocide. Clearly, they weren't saying that. This is especially important given that in the judgment, the judges indicated in a lot of detail the instances of statements of genocidal intent made by Israeli leaders. In fact, they included genocidal statements made by Israeli leaders that were not even part of the application of South Africa. We were astounded at the level of research the judges had gone into in order to arrive at their decision. Another important element of the judgment was the issue of Israel's purported right to self-defense. The judgment only noted once that Israel used the notion of self-defense to justify their actions in Gaza. The court only noted this approach by Israel, but did not entertain it any further. They did not need to, as the court is well aware, that the ICJ had confirmed in the wall case of 2004 that an occupying power cannot rely on the right to self-defense as stated in Article 51 of the UN Charter. 
If you engage in a conflict with people that you are occupying, you are in breach of the UN Charter. The people of Gaza are still under a belligerent occupation. And whenever we speak of Palestine, don't speak of it as an ordinary conflict. This is about occupation. The people of Palestine are occupied. It's not two equal free states fighting each other. It is an occupier fighting those they have occupied and essentially slaughtering them. This is what is happening and we need to say so. Despite its claims, these orders are binding upon Israel. It has to immediately implement these provisional measures to prevent a further increase of its human rights violations. In fact, all states now have a legal obligation to ensure respect for the provisional measures, as well as ensure that they are not complicit in the genocide. Essentially, if the case proceeds as we anticipate, and it is found that Israel committed genocide, all those who were complicit are as guilty as Israel. There are many who are seeking to undermine these orders. For example, they attempt to redefine it so that the killings continue. Some Western governments immediately said, we hear the judgment, but they didn't order a ceasefire. We can see this only as aiding and abetting. This order for us is a win for international law and for the Genocide Convention, which embodies the solemn pledge to prevent the crime of genocide and hold those responsible to account. It is truly tragic that this convention, which was drafted following the Holocaust against Jewish people in Europe, that it is the very people who then moved to Palestine who are offending this convention. It's tragic. Despite its attempts to block the ICJ from making this order, and in its failed attempt to spin the judgment itself as a victory for them, Israel stands facing the international community and peoples of the world, having failed to deflect attention from its crimes or justify its unfolding genocide. It is now naked to the world for the first time. For the first time in 75 years, Israel is being held accountable by an institution and by the global community. We have now, as South Africa, broken a dangerous culture of impunity that has characterized the illegal occupation of Palestine, the oppression of apartheid in Palestine, and its now unfolding genocide. For the first time, 
we have opened up for the world to see. We, South Africa. So before I totally break the podium, allow me to stop and thank you once more for the opportunity to address you today in this wonderful, blessed mosque. I trust that you will all continue to be guided by Islamic values that place a premium of justice, fairness, and solidarity with the oppressed. I thank you as the South African Muslim Ummah for not forgetting that although we have won our freedom from the oppression of apartheid, it is our duty to seek that freedom for all humanity, for all who are oppressed. This is our duty and we must carry it out. So I, I don't take the work, the campaign, the protests, I don't take them lightly. What they mean to me is an appreciation of something absolutely wonderful. We know, through you, that we, as the people of South Africa, while we waged a mighty struggle against apartheid, our leaders went from country to country across the world and asked for support. And the international community joined in in developing a concept some of us forget called international solidarity. That is all that is making us stand up today. That being free, enjoying human rights, having a constitution, having sovereign right to your land, does not mean you enjoy it purely for yourself. Having been joined in international solidarity, your task today is to join the world in fighting for the people of Palestine until they are free. This is what we must do. I see today that one of my colleague ministers has sent me a recent statement that Israel has called us the legal arm of Hamas. <laughs> the government of South Africa is the legal arm of Hamas. You know that they've been saying that I take my orders from Iran and that I am an ISIS supporter. I don't even know what ISIS stands for. But this is some of the um, fake news and insults that will circulate. They even go to my family and my husband, my children, and, you know. But it's, it's fine. We, we will strive on. As long as the people of Palestine know we as South Africa are with them, we will strive on. We won't tire. And what I hope we can try and do together, we have sent some aid from our department and government. We have another second package 
that is sitting somewhere near the Rafa border, which we would like to get across. But now, the lies have grown even bigger. They're now accusing UN workers of having played a role in the October 7 attack by Hamas. And so they have stopped funding to the UN agency that was supporting people who need aid. So I've called on my colleagues of the South, East Asia, Latin America, progressive African countries, let's put our heads together and let's fund that agency and let's make sure that aid gets there. So, let us not idly sit by and watch events. It's not our culture. Let us be active. Let us try and make a difference. Let's have petition after petition after petition. I've been talking to some of our sisters and brothers, and I say there are five or so countries that are providing arms to Israel, that provide the real dedicated support. Let's have 10 people every day outside their embassy stop the genocide. That's all. Every day. And because we are so connected, let us talk to our brothers and sisters throughout the world, and all of us do that. It will make a mark, because the people of Palestine must not be forget, forgotten. I thank you for all you have done. Assalamu alaikum.